good afternoon, good morning, everybody, depending on which part of this beautiful country that you're in. I'd like to welcome you to the Rebel News Daily Roundup. I'm one of the co-hosts today. My name is Sheila Gunn-Reed, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Tamara Ugolini. Tamara, how's it going? Hey, Sheila, doing well, thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. It looks like I have a chapstick. <laughs> migrating outside of my lip line everybody at home I'm happy sure you Monday see that. <laughs> isn't it we all have a case of the Mondays here at the network I think um <laughs> this is uh I'll tell everybody what we're doing and then let's just get into the news of the day because there's so much to talk about particularly how um you know, for a government that really just hates the Russians so much that they'll honor a Nazi, boy, they're sure acting like Soviets when it comes to their treatment of the internet. So we'll get to that in a second, but uh, I'll tell everybody what we're doing here today. This is the Rebel News Daily Roundup. It's normally hosted by my friend David Menzies um, and a rotating cast of characters, including myself and Tamara. We're the characters that uh, ride along shotgun white knuckling it through an episode of the show with David Menzies. But today, David Menzies is on special assignment. So it's me and Tamara. And this is a place where we talk about the news of the day completely unscripted. I think you could probably pick that up. Um, but it also gives us a chance to interact with each other because I work remotely. I work very closely with Tamara on uh, everything day to day, but we don't often get to actually see our faces when we talk to each other. So that's kind of fun. But we also get to interact with you, the viewer, and Rebel News supporter at home. So if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for your loyalty, despite the extreme censorship that you face on that platform. Um, but might I suggest you migrate over to a platform that cares very little about your political leanings, like Rumble, but also Odyssey. On Rumble, um, you can engage in the live chat there and leave us a paid chat called the Rumble Rant. On Odyssey, it's called the Hyper Chat. And the beauty of those is that it helps us keep the lights on here at Rebel News because we'll never take a penny from Justin Trudeau. And how could we ever hold him to account if we did <clears throat> mainstream media? But um, it also gives you a chance to democratize the show. So if your comment, question, story idea, whatever you choose to chat with us about is above the $5 US uh, baseline, we are obligating ourselves to read it on air, whatever it might be, and we'll do our best to comment on it. Um, if it's underneath that amount, thank you very much. We are not obligating ourselves to read that chat, but if you're a regular viewer of the show, you know we read many of those chats every single day that are far underneath the um, $5 cutoff. In fact, we often read free chats because we find them to be interesting. So let that be incentive for you to engage in the live chat and, and reach out to us um, by leaving a comment. I think that's it. Tamara, let's get into uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, Soviet-style stranglehold on the internet because it continues to get worse. I'll let you take the lead here. Well, and they announced, so this is in regards to the Canadian Radio Television Corporation's recent announcement on Friday afternoon that they are taking a major step forward to allegedly modernize Canada's broadcasting system. And um, they, they say that this happened following broad consultations. They're releasing their first two decisions, including which online streaming services must register with us. So if you want to stream anything online, social media, what have you, you must first register with the Canadian delegated regulator of all things social media and internet. 
Um, and, you know, it's it's really strange. Well, I guess it's unsurprising that they went ahead and they released this at what, 2, 2 p.m. on a Friday. Um, right. A lot of people also were having a federal holiday, either Friday or Monday, thanks to uh, truth and reconciliation, I, I guess. We should Surfing pay our day. bureaucrats. <laughs> yeah, we should it's pay bureaucrats day. to have the day off. Um, wherein Justin Trudeau has been seen in previous years heading over to British Columbia on the coast to engage in some quality reconciliation surfing. Right. Um, so <laughs> uh, Ezra had actually a really good thread on um, what these regulations mean. And um, we're going through and we'll be, I'm trying to just pull this up here. We're going to go through and confirm and uh, write up and kind of break it all down for everybody what this really means. And I'm sure there will be some sort of, um, you know, what Rebel News is doing about it uh, to come. But, you know, first, right off the bat, Ezra says, this is the government's way of hiding things is by announcing them on a Friday afternoon. Uh, Trudeau announced that his, he now requires YouTubers, live streamers and podcasters to register with the government as part of his internet censor censorship strategy. And there is a whole string of tweets here uh, by Ezra that kind of breaks it down for you. I really like number three here where he says that the CRTC is a relic of the age of radio and TV uh, created in 1976. And it's been uh, for more than a decade where they've other than handed out lucrative monopolies of Canada's cell phone cartel, where yeah. it's actually just recently come to light. Well, and many of us already knew this, but uh, Canadians literally pay the highest phone rates in the world. Thanks to this regulator. That is a relic that zero you know, was created they, because they allow, they allow zero competition in the marketplace. They protect these big monopolies from the big broadcast telecommunications companies. So in Canada, your cable or your satellite or your internet and your cell phone are often all the same provider because you don't get to shop. And in the United States, like you, if you listen to podcasters in the United States, which who knows if we're going to get to do that for very much longer here in Canada, but they always like Matt Walsh is always advertising like these little itty bitty uh, cell phone companies. And I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> Imagine if you could just shop mm -hmm. for a cell phone provider that wasn't like, and in Canada, like all the like, uh, the budget brands are still part of the big monopoly. Anyways, I'll be quiet. Tamara, please go on. The cell phones irritate me too. Well, that's... I'll be quiet. <laughs> yeah, likewise. And so do the bills that go coincide with them. <laughs> but that is essentially what the CRTC will do here with this regulation. They'll do the exact same thing as we've seen happen to cell phone uh, companies. They will act as a conglomerate. They're going to monopolize the industry, i.e. the internet, and they're going to squash any sort of competition. So only those which the state approves, which is primarily going to be the uh, Canadian broad state broadcaster, the CBC, they will get the um, they will they will they will become front runners in the algorithm. And the little guys will they won't even stand a chance. So you'll have a handful of who the state thinks is approved and who they go ahead and approve that you can hear from. And you can find readily and easily on the internet and everybody else. Well, sayonara to you because we're now going to control everything that you can access and find on the world wide web. 
And um, it's really a way for them to monopolize on information, you know, as the government becomes hyper focused on this idea of dis and misinformation, which I would counter they have been the forerunners of and at especially highlighted throughout the last three years with their pandemic response nonsense. Uh, you can point out the loopholes in in what they say versus what actually happened all day long. But unless that information is making it to the eyes and the ears of Canadians, then they may be none the wiser unless they are extremely capable of critical thinking, which we see more and more uh, because of the state-backed propaganda techniques Canadians are are losing that ability to think and see clearly for themselves. And so this is just another way where the government will ensure that the information they want you to have is the only thing that will reach you. You know, and I'm glad you pointed out that the CBC will get preferential treatment in the algorithm. That's already something that the government is mandating through one of their censorship laws that uh, Canadian content get preferential treatment in the algorithm. But past behavior is an excellent predictor of future behavior. So uh, we already know that CBC gets preferential treatment from the CRTC through their mandatory carriage. So if you buy a cable package in Canada, or if you have a TV set in Canada, you get the CBC whether you want it or not. And then the cable companies or the satellite companies uh, that provide this give a portion of their cable package back to the CBC. That's why getting mandatory carriage in cable packages is so important. And the CRTC did not do that for Sun News Network, which was this exclusively Canadian, albeit right-wing or center-right, all-news channel. So in Canada, and it, outrageous that they were denied mandatory carriage, which would have given them enough revenue to build a company around. But in Canada, if you get a cable package, not only do you get CBC because it's Canadian content, really, um, but you also get CNN, which is not Canadian content. So think about that for a second. CNN is mandatory carriage in Canada, but Sun News Network was not. Why? because it was conservative and CNN is uh, just a hot mess. But also uh, <laughs> past behavior being a predictor of future behavior. I've seen some criticisms and so far those criticisms tend to be slightly accurate um, that the government is saying that this will not affect individual podcasters. Um, if what it wants is the podcast platform to register with the government, Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, Wondery, or whatever, right? Okay, that's that's what the government is saying right now, but mm -hmm. uh, this is a government that also said that it wouldn't um, it wouldn't go after uh, hunting rifles in its new gun control legislation. Uh, the government gets everything wrong or actually probably they get everything right they just think canadians aren't smart enough to see through the lies so they've constantly lied about what bill c18 does they've constantly lied about what bill c11 does they lied about what their gun control legislation would actually do in effect uh, and as gun owners know by the way we know that registration leads to confiscation why do we think this is going to be any different from the liberals on this latest piece of modernizing the CRTC would interesting choice of words, given that you're bringing the CRTC back to Soviet era 
East Germany days when you had to register your typewriter with the government in case something offensive to the state rolled off the keys of your typewriter. This is the same thing. So in modernizing everything, they seem to be rolling everything back 50 to 60 years. Um, and that's because the internet has been a place where people could consume ideas that harm the government's agenda. And so what are we going to do about that? Mm -hmm. We're going to register things. Now we're going to confiscate them. Well, and a liberal senator himself discussed that exact concern uh, when they were voting to pass this bill and pass it through the Senate. And, you know, he called he he made these horrible, horrendous, chilling comparisons to um, Stalin's Pravda, to Hitler's book burning, to these dictatorial regimes and how they handled the press and uh, newsprint. And um that all seems to have fallen on deaf ears, at least to the liberal-led government that is keen on censoring and regulating the internet. And I find it really funny, actually, and strange and sad, that um, the CRTC has said that this followed broad consultations. I put a link here um, from April of 2023 from lawyer uh, Michael Geist. He's done so much work on this file. Uh, if you don't know about him or his blog, you can find it at michaelgeist.ca. But in April, he posted uh, the headline here is the Canadian Her Heritage Credibility Gap on Online Harms. So that's these bills are under the Online Harms Act. Um, and the public report did not disclose that there was actually 90% of uh, people who were polled or who were consulted rather actually opposed this, the 2021 proposal. Um, and so he discovered this and, and, you know, I won't go through the whole article, but essentially he discovered this through access to information documents. This was never disclosed anywhere publicly. He couldn't find it when he was reading through their consultations, where the actual submissions were, what the submissions read, so on and so forth. So he had to file an access to information request to find out and what he discovered was that 90% of, of respondents were actually opposed to this kind of legislation. So for the T CRTC to come forward and say that they they conducted broad consultation and this was somehow um, agreed upon is just a bold-faced lie. And I guess that lends to the reason why they need to further regulate the internet, because Canadians can, or, you know, can see right through it. And unless we have someone who's being critical, who's speaking that truth to power, who's who's providing tangible evidence and or questions to the government, whatever their flavor of the day may be, then they they just have to believe what the government says verbatim. And I was just digging down on like what Canadian content might get an exception from the online streaming act here. And uh, yeah. it's Pornhub. Pornhub, uh, backed by MindGeek, which is a Montreal-based company implicated in uh, sex trafficking, child pornography. Uh, I, I, shoot, <laughs> we're going to get nuked on YouTube if I continue to talk about this. But, um, it, I mean, implicated in all manner of uh, sex-related crimes. Um, it sounds like it might get a carve-out out, out of C11 um, because... Um, it's not Canadian cultural content that the government is expected to protect. So they might just, because they're an online streaming platform, they might get an exemption from this. So Canadian news, you can't get access to Canadian news right now as a reflex to the government's attempts to extort 
um, social media platforms uh, if for payment if you share Canadian news, which is like making the uh, newspaper boy pay you for delivering your newspaper. Um, but, but anyway, um, it, it sounds like uh, the big porn industry, the big sex trafficking industries are going to get a carve out of this. So that should tell you where the liberal government's mind at is at on this. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's a racket um, at the end of the day, uh, what they're trying to do here to uh, siphon fees from social media and they're the social media platforms like Meta, which is Google or sorry, uh, Facebook and Instagram and a little bit Google have decided to just proactively and preemptively abide by this online harms act and are not sharing news on their platforms from Canada on their platforms anymore. And um, because their business models stand to lose a lot of revenue based on this, what I would call a racket. Um, and yeah. we have another funny tweet to share. Yes, please. Let's do that. This is the fight I've been waiting from, for. <laughs> uh, yeah. And well, that's, that's where I was kind of going with re referencing meta is that, uh, Twitter now called X, uh, under the ownership of Elon Musk, they have just continued on as normal, um, in wake of actually of, of Musk actually taking ownership of the platform, which was previously highly censored without government regulations. Oh, it's good again. Um, and so, yeah, so for now, anyway, um, I think they're looking to implement the online harms act by the end of this year. So we have a few months left. We'll see what actually ends up happening, but Elon is now has this on his radar. Um, he retweeted Glenn Greenwald, who said that the Canadian government armed with one of the world's most repressive online censorship schemes announced that all online streaming services that offer podcasts must formally register with the government to permit regulatory controls and uh, to which Musk re reposted. It's going to be hard to break out of that retweeting language. But anyway, yes. that Trudeau is trying to crush free speech in Canada. Shameful. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I really I really wonder if Musk has any legal action up his sleeve. Shall the Trudeau regime decide to target Twitter, X, whatever it should formally be known as now. As I said, this is the battle I've been waiting for. So with regard to Facebook and Meta, they went around Justin Trudeau's shakedown of social media companies, wherein uh, the social media companies would have to pay the producer of the news for sharing the news. Again, Facebook acts as a free distributor for your content. You should probably be paying them for sharing your content, but you don't because they get the, the, um, you know, the information about the consumer so that they can sell them ads. It's been a system that's worked pretty well, uh, for a very long time. And of course, Justin Trudeau comes along and puts his hand right into the middle of it because he wants a piece so that he can give it to his enablers in the mainstream media to continue on with their failed business model. So Facebook and meta said, uh, actually, you know what? So we don't have to pay you. We are not allowing any sharing of Canadian news. This is how it's going to be because we're not going to participate in the shakedown. Now, Justin Trudeau is on a collision course with Twitter or whatever it is called now X and Elon Musk. And I cannot wait for this fight because instead of just doing the passive aggressive thing that Facebook and, and Instagram just did, we're going to, I think, end up in a major legal battle because Elon Musk is a bit of a free speech madman in that he bought this failing company called Twitter. It was really so oppressive and so censorious that the only people who were on there 
were a bunch of self-censoring journalists and me <laughs> um, for a very long time. It used to be fun back in the days of 2015, 2016. And then because, honestly, I think because President Trump was able to use social media to go around conventional media to talk directly to his voters, the reflex of um, the very woke Silicon Valley oligarchs was to say, okay, well, we can't let this happen one more time. We have to start censoring and doing all this, you know, shutting people up on the internet. People are having a little bit too much to think out there. So, um, but Elon Musk invested billions and billions, I think $50 billion of his own money into a dying company to advance free speech. And he's making a lot of changes at the company. There was a big purge. People actually had to start showing up for work at the company. Uh, he's adding new features all the time and allowing people to monetize their content on Twitter. And he's very innovative. And he is a true believer in free speech. And he, I think, is going to end up in court with the Canadian government in the interest of free speech. Um, or on the flip side, we just might not be able to access Twitter or X or whatever it's called in Canada uh, because Justin Trudeau picked a fight with a free speech madman. So uh, I'm interested to see how this goes. Uh, Elon Musk is very influential. He went from being a darling of the left because of his efforts <laughs> to advance, you know, green tech. Um, but they turned on him real quick when he allowed people to have their own ideas about certain things. Um, so, uh, you know what? I, I can't wait to see what shakes out of the trees here. And likewise, I just hope that it is not, in fact, that we cannot access uh, Twitter or X in Canada, which is, I guess, lends to why we've partnered with that private VPN company to make sure that you can protect not only your privacy, but your access to uh, the news news content. Now, just more on the Trudeau slash censorship topic, uh, in light of the honoring of a Nazi soldier in the <laughs> House of Commons, uh, we have reported here by the Toronto Star that rude, disrespectful and unruly members of Parliament say the House of Commons has turned into a circus and someone needs to tame it. I don't know if this is a new phenomenon, really. Um, I often, you know, if you're watching CPAC or you're watching the back and forth in the House of Commons question period, I think it's been a circus for a really long time. And oh, I yeah. agree someone needs to tame it, but I think it can be really easily tamed by quite literally just answering questions instead of this like perpetual, constant, consistent deflection by the liberals when they're asked, you know, very straightforward yes or no answer. Uh, and they just give their complete uh, politispeak word salad responses right back. And that's what I think makes it turn into this circus. And then, of course, this has all been exacerbated by the recent clapping seal uh, applause by everyone in the House of Commons. You know, that's opposition alike to this former Nazi soldier. I like how it's all of a sudden a problem, uh, things getting a little bit unruly in the House of Commons when the opposition actually starts doing their jobs and opposing the government. Um, and when a controversial thing that the liberals have done just won't seem to go away, all of a sudden the villages, villagers are getting a little too uh, uppity and they're speaking truth to power. And so some scold, Alex Ballingall, comes along 
from uh, the Toronto Star of all places and tells people to shut up. Um, but it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it does make sense to me because these sort of scolding articles were never written when Justin Trudeau was calling people uh, a piece of fill in the blank in the House of Commons or when he's storming through uh, the House of Commons and elbowing an NDP uh, MP in the boob. That w it wasn't like, a oh, we got it. Guys, people are getting hurt. We have to behave ourselves here. That was never actually... Uh, it, that didn't spawn these scolding articles. What spawned these scolding articles was a desire to shut up the opposition and protect the dear leader at all costs. And to protect the dear leader also means to protect your subsidies from the dear leader. And like this, uh, this article reads like a grant application. Well, and it's unsurprising to you, given that the Toronto Star, um, when was this? August 26th, 2021. I don't know if we can pull up the photo. I just shared a link um, of their, we'll remember this, their front pager, um, where it says, oh, yeah. you know, it's all about the unvaccinated, um, like let them die, deny them hospital <laughs> care. Unvaccinated patients do not deserve ICU beds. There's a simmering divide over who isn't vaccinated. I mean, there was no, as you said, Sheila, there was no um, condemning of this kind of like quite literally um, apartheid uh, bordering. And I would even go so far as to say hate speech rhetoric. Sure it is. Um, this is absolutely absurd. And that's only, you know, just over two years ago that that same uh, newspaper decided that it was a good idea to print this. And, you know, you can see here on the side, no job could mean no job for Air Canada employees. And that did come to fruition. We saw countless people sure. uh, fired or terminated or um, put on unpaid leave as a coercive measure to ensure that they complied with COVID-19 vaccine mandates. And so you never had this kind of um, editorial position by that same newspaper that all of a sudden now it's like, well, now that we're facing scrutiny over inviting a literal Nazi to the House of Commons where everybody uh, applauded and gave him a hero's welcome. And because people are upset, rightfully so, that this took place, uh, it, it, I'm just, I, I still, I know it's been a week um, and a bit, but I'm still shocked that there hasn't yep. been more high-level uh, resignations as a result of this grotesque oversight, to put it nicely. Um, Anthony Rhoda, I think, was the scapegoat on this. And uh, I think the, the the proof is in the pudding in terms of who's the censorious thug and who needs to actually take accountability and, and resign over this. Well, and look, people in our company pitch their stories to me and Tamara all the time. And if somebody had pitched this story to me, I would have stopped. I would have put it in plain speak and said, do you think this sounds okay? Do you think this is a good article? This is a good story to do. Because if they pitched this to me, I would have said, so the, the premise of your story is that we are too outraged that the entire House of Commons, and particularly the Liberals, honored a Nazi war criminal. That's the premise of the article. Do you think that that is an appropriate article to write? Somebody at the Toronto Star was like, yep, sounds great, <laughs> let her rip. Whereas me and Tamara would be like, no, kill, kill, kill the story, nope. 
they, ab- apparently they just don't care about their reputations over there or editorial control, obviously. Very clearly. Um, okay. Oh, we have a super chat we'll get to here. Um, Spirit Whisper okay. 2021 gives $20. Thank you very much. Hi from Victoria, BC. Will I have to register with the government if I live stream on my YouTube channel now? Don't quite understand everything yet. Blessings to you both. And I think that's intentional, right? That's why they released this on Friday afternoon is to just confuse people, um, make it so that you know, you're know you not really sure. And as is the way with a lot of this ambiguously worded legislation put forward that I see repeatedly put forward by, you know, quote unquote, lefties by the liberal government, um, it's intentionally ambiguously worded because you they want you to be confused. They There's no real clear direction. There's no clear way on how this will be enforced or otherwise. And um, and it's just it's for lack of a better word, it's a shit show. Um, well, and so sorry I to interrupt. at this point, I, I'm just going to interrupt real quick because this, again, I compare this to what they do to gun owners all the time because they register us yeah. and then they confiscate, but it, it grossly misunderstands the conservative mind, right? So they are expecting, as you said, Tamara, this sort of legislative chill to fall across podcasters and streamers, right? We don't know if we have to register. So I'm opposed to registration. So I'm just not going to start a podcast or I'm just not going to start live streaming. That is not how the conservative mind works in my experience. And I would think that I have a very regular sort of run of the mill mainstream conservative mind. And I have a a proof point that I can use. Uh, I think conservatives are always like, if you, if the government tells me not to do it, I'm going to do more of it and more obnoxiously. <laughs> That's normally how I think of it. Um, like if you tell yeah. me I'm not allowed to go somewhere, I'll be there with bells on. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, g- gun owners did this, right? When they said, oh, we're grandfathering out handgun uh, ownership. We had a real run on handguns to the point where many stores were completely sold out and pre-sold on any of their inventory that was existing and inventory that was expecting to come in. And so I think we might see the opposite effect here where the government is telling you that you can't go on the internet and share your unregistered ideas. You're going to see a bunch of people flood to Twitter, start streaming or whatever it is now X flood to rumble and start streaming, start podcasts all over the place simply because now we know Justin Trudeau fears that we might actually have unregistered ideas and share them with the world. Um, and so people are going to run out there and try to strike fear in the hearts of Canada's stupidest man. Mm-hmm. And as it stands right now, it's the the streaming platform, platform. that has to register. Yeah. But that's as it stands right now. And the way that things have worked in the past, as you've already mentioned, Sheila, especially with gun regulation, is we'll see if it comes. there comes a time when the individual podcasters will also have to register and regulate their podcast views. Um, With that, we're about halfway through. So let's take a quick ad break and we'll come back to some LGBTQIA plus seven madness. Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, it's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. 
we've partnered with Private Internet Access, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices at piavpn.com slash rebelnews. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets. Dr. James Lindsay, who is a frequent guest of both Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, and the host of the New Discourse podcast, is coming to Alberta for the first time. And so the conclusion was that we now have to train men the way that we train dogs, with like leashes and shock collars and, and things, in order, to, in order to get rape culture to go away. Medic religion is actually the easiest way to kind of make sense, honestly, of the trans phenomenon as well. Well, the queer theory thinks that there are certain people who get to set the norms of society. Dr. Lindsay will be speaking directly to the dangers of critical theory and its gender ideology uh, that are pushing their way into children's classrooms. In queer theory, you know, calling somebody saying you're a man or a woman is called a violence of categorization. You just, why don't you say it's, this is systemic sexism and distinguished from what most people think of as sexism. She said, no, it is sexism, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. But they're clearly not the same thing. You don't want to miss this, tickets are selling fast. You can get yours today. That is being run by Take Back Alberta, so you can get those tickets on their website. October 2nd and October 3rd are the dates. And it's going to be an incredible event. So that's tomorrow. Right. That really snuck up on me. I didn't realize that that <laughs> was coming up so quickly. It, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's today in Edmonton, tomorrow in Calgary. Um, yes, let's, uh, speaking of LGBTQ+, plus, I'm forgetting something. I'm going to get hate letters. I, I, I think it's USL. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. I don't know. I saw that Justin Trudeau has been rehearsing because before he couldn't rattle it off. Now he just like hammers it out like at warp speed. So someone has been teaching him his his alphabet. So that's cute. Um, but over the weekend, actually, I think it was last night, Drea Humphrey mm -hmm. uh, was on uh, Vancouver Island where uh, Megan Murphy, she's a Canadian journalist and a bit of an old school, slightly new school feminist, but she doesn't subscribe to this idea that men can just be women and often be better women than, than the rest of us girls. And uh, she was speaking at a parents' rights event and uh, there was a counter-protest, sounds like, of LGBTQ plus activists showing up people who would probably describe themselves as feminists showing up to shut up this woman so uh i think we've got a video from drea mm -hmm. <laughs> hello hello I'm just getting a shot of the signs. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi, everyone. You guys are so nice. <laughs> awesome. It really is. 
I guess they couldn't bust any Antifa to the island. Some creativity on this one. And look at how nice Drea is being. And then somebody you can hear right at the end, we should follow her around. So Drea is, uh, the woman doesn't have a mean bone in her body. Uh, she's nice to a fault. Uh, she's full of Christian compassion for other people. And despite the fact that she is having non-confrontational interactions, she's not criticizing people. She's just taking pictures of your signs because that's why you hold the sign, right? To get your message across. So she's just simply showing the sign. And at the very end of that, somebody is saying we should follow her around as to intimidate Drea, make sure um, that uh, that she doesn't tell the other side of the story. Which they're not even able to articulate, right? We see that repeatedly, and that's right. arguably why they need to get so aggressive and, in, and deploy these intimidation tactics is because they cannot articulate their stance. And when they're um, hit back with a just a question. Hey, what do you think of this? There's just an inability to to think and to get a viewpoint across. And when you point out loopholes in what they're doing, and if they even recognize and realize what exactly that is that they're even protesting, um, they just look extremely silly. And so that's where you've seen this, this swoop in of organizations like the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, where they have put out um, tactics uh, for these individuals to deploy on anyone who has an opposite or dissenting viewpoint that is aggression, bullying, intimidation, harassment of these individuals. So in hopes that it will only be their voice that's championed and anybody else will be terrified into submission, essentially. Um, and I think that Drea, you know, we had to hire security for her at that event we because we've seen her targeted and harassed by these types before, these Antifa adjacent um, inclusivity lovers is what they tout to be. Um, and so I don't know if it was just because it was on Vancouver Island, it was hard to get to, uh, they couldn't afford to bus or fly or ferry in uh, Antifa harassers. Um, but yeah, it seemed like it was really tame, peaceful gathering. That would be a great event where you could maybe have a dialogue with people because I see so much like it's it's my side and your side and there's such a great divide. Right. And I think that if we could actually talk about what it is that brings, you know, these parent protesters out versus what it is the LGBTQ whatever supporters think that they're supporting, um, how that might not be based on fact. I think that we would see that there is some common ground and um, that, in fact, we have a lot of the same values in terms of like, we don't think that softcore porn should be taught to children through their state-sanctioned right. curriculum. Um, right. I don't think that that is like, like a far-right, hateful, bigoted stance to take. And I think a lot of parents would would concede and would say, oh, you know, what? yeah, that sounds really wrong and inappropriate. But they don't even know that that's happening because these radicalized union leaders, for instance, with these parent protests that took place two weeks ago from across Canada, they had no idea that that's what parents were actually protesting was this, this curriculum in the schools. And it's because it's done under the umbrella of uh, SOGI 123, sexual orientation, gender identity, DEI or DIE, for some people like to ask acronym, uh, the diversity, equity and inclusion 
inclusion strategies. And it's under the guise and the umbrella of these theories that are adjacent to the critical race theory um, is where you see this radicalized, heavily sexualized content coming into the school system at extremely young ages. Like these are in some instances, kindergartners who are being given tasks and taught things that are just not even close to being on their radar and in a place where they can um, psychologically or cognitively understand. And I don't think that these activists realize that that's what parents are taking a stand against. It's not a hate or a transphobic thing. It's literally just protecting the innocence of their children from these radical extremists and those theories that they encompass. You know, I'm glad that you pointed out that we don't disagree with uh, some of these activists on macro issues. So the big picture stuff, for example, I am against this, the, uh, you know, of course the suicidality of kids struggling with gender identity. I just disagree with how they plan to manage it or how they have been managing it. Um, because we do know that kids who struggle with their sexual identity are at increased risk of suicide. I just disagree with the invention, the interventions that the other side has to address this issue, because as the statistics show, their interventions are making it worse. So when that lady is holding a sign mindlessly that says SOGI, so that's the critical gender theory nonsense that they teach kids in BC schools, there's a SOGI one, two, three, and it starts very young. She's holding that sign that says SOGI saves lives. Okay, that that's you making that claim. So tell me about the instances of suicidality for these kids after they are exposed to SOGI 123. Has it decreased or has it increased? We know it has increased. So SOGI doesn't save lives. SOGI endangers lives. There's a problem there. Carving parents out of the life of a child mm -hmm. that is experiencing suicidal ideations because they're struggling with their gender identity, I think is not a good way to protect that child. They want to protect kids. I want to protect kids too. But I think every child will benefit from four extra eyeballs on the mom and dad every single day if they're struggling with these issues. But these people want to keep secrets so that one day parents wake up and their kid has attempted or has committed suicide and they had no clue that they should have been on the lookout for something because secrets were kept from those parents with the child. So I agree, we should be protecting kids, especially kids suffering from gender confusion. But I disagree mm -hmm. with the tactics the other side is using. So I'm glad you mentioned that because the, the often repeated mantra is that we don't care about kids. We definitely do. Uh, but I think that no one cares more for their children than the parents. I don't think a teacher loves my kids more than I do. And I think it's a bigotry of low expectations to say that uh, Christian parents don't uh, and Muslim parents or new Canadians, that we don't possess unconditional love for our children. What a bigoted statement. But that is the crux of the argument coming from the other side of this when they say, no, parents mustn't know what's happening at the school because the parents will judge and therefore then not love that child. What an absolutely bigoted statement against people of faith. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's really contradictory and it highlights the hypocrisy of the left when they're like, Oh, well, diversity is our strength. 
until it's a Muslim-led movement that's all about protecting the innocence of children and protesting these radical sexualized ideologies infiltrating infiltrating our publicly funded schools. And then it's all of a sudden, well, that diversity is actually hate, right? There was that graphic that went around that no yep. space for hate um, against <laughs> these parent protests. And it was it's just absolutely astounding that this got the reach that it did because that wasn't the basis of the protest. The protest was not about anything trans or um, or homosexuality or whatever. It was literally just keep this kind of content away from young, impressionable children. Let them be kids. Protect their innocence. If you want to teach your kids this kind of stuff at home and in your own private home life and you're one of these radically inclusive people who um, thinks that the only way you can be inclusive is by taking your kid to drag queen story hour, then go right ahead, do what you want to do in your own time, but keep this out of our publicly funded schools, especially when it's often unbeknownst to parents that this kind of curriculum and these teachings are actually taking place. Um, so it's all, it's like diversity is our strength until diversity doesn't align with this idea of um, inclusivity and tolerance under the rainbow flag. And then all of a sudden diversity is hate somehow to these extremists. And I just find it so funny that they're all about <laughs> inclusivity and tolerance until you have a differing perspective to share. And then they don't even want to hear it. You can't even talk about it. Um, sadly, I have some family members who are like that and they, you know, claim to be all about diversity and an inclusivity and tolerance. And I said, but I have a different point of view. And do you even know what my point of view is? Do you want to know? Can we talk about it? I'd like to know how, what your point of view is. And if you actually understand and realize where this protest is starting and what it stems from, um, and there's just not even a space to be able to have that dialogue, whether you agree or disagree or have some sort of middle ground, you can't even have that beginning of a conversation. And I find that highly ironic from the people who claim to all, be all about diversity and, and um, inclusivity. But that just also speaks to the second clip that we have from Drea, which um, it, it was inside the event. And um, there the speakers were uh, extending an invite to the protesters outside to see if they wanted to have a chat or learn a little bit more about the gender ideology debate. ...that we um, would respectfully have some safeguards around that, but that we would like to do that. And we do have two who have come forward. They were in the comments section. We have Brooke. No, my name's Jennifer. Jennifer, okay. So I have, you got, are you the advocates that came in that wanted to give voice and be present? Okay, so... I'm going to hand this over to the moderator, but this is the olive branch that we have extended so that we can remember that while we're giving voice, that it is up to each and every one of us to create the spaces for this dialogue. Hi, my name is Jennifer. Um, I'm an organization coordinator for our group outside um, and we just wanted to know because this olive branch has been extended um, although I'm not very trusting of it walking into a room full of people that I have seen online spew hate is not super comfortable to me but is this something that you guys maybe not you guys but maybe somebody from your community would be interested in having a panel where there's both sides to have a conversation all right we've been trying to do that 
since 2016, and no one will join the panel. <laughs> like, media has tried to host, you know, conversations with me and trans activists, people have tried to set up debates, people have tried to set up panels that shared both sides of the issues, and the other side has always refused. I really appreciate you coming in and speaking to us a lot, because that's, you know, it's not very common that that happens. But yeah, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that if the conversation could happen, that would be great. I know Serena would love that also. Yeah, I think that that that's good. Gets the point across there, and you can um, go back to Drea's Twitter where you can see the last. I think it was roughly about a minute there remaining of dialogue. Um, but you know, getting back to uh, Trudeau's censorship laws and regulation of the internet, if that conversation ever took place, you'd never see it as a result right. of what the government is doing. They don't want you to see Canadians coming together and having those discussions and having those debates. I mean, we're supposed to live in a free and democratic society where uh, the cornerstone of which is open dialogue and robust debate. And if you start to see that happening between everyday lay Canadians, and then they expect that to also happen in the House of Commons in our parliament, where it's turning in or has been for a long time, a clown show, um, that is exactly what the regime of Justin Trudeau doesn't want to see. I mean, this is the guy that campaigned on the wedge issue of vaccination status in his snap election in 2021. Um, he, you know, it's the divide and conquer narrative really that's, that we're seeing in full force here with the LGBT, whatever, um, divide that's happening here and with these concerned parents. And, um, if this censorship regime moves forward and goes through, if those conversations ever happen, you'll never see them broadcast widely on a platform because it doesn't fit the narrative. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that, there was a little bit of hyperbole used there. Like, uh, you're so scared of these people who have been spewing hate to you that you walked right in and walked up to the microphone. Did you? <laughs> Did you really? Because that's a gross admission that you're actually not scared of them at all, that you knew you would be welcomed to take the microphone and receive a round of applause for turning up. Um, but there's a reason they don't want the debate to happen. And, and, and the reason they convince themselves that the other side is so intolerant and so crazy that they would never let you speak. Um, and that is, and it, it goes back to something I heard uh, Dr. J. Bhattacharya say at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, George Jonas Freedom Award uh, banquet uh, last week. And that was bad ideas do not withstand debate. So if you know, even if you can't admit it to yourself, but you know your idea is bad, <laughs> you won't turn up to the debate. And that's what we see happening from the other side. And that's why there's this reliance from the Justin Trudeau liberals on censorship all the time is because bad ideas and lies do not stand up to the free and liberal exchange of ideas. So you got to shut up the other side or convince yourself that the other side is so hate filled that it's no use in even turning up to talk to them. And we see this this is playing out in real time um, with the LGBTQ nonsense when it comes to parents. They don't even want to hear why parents don't want you keeping secrets with their kids. They just they just think uh, these people hate their kids and they hate me. And so there's no point. Um, and it's completely wrong, obviously. 
And even if you share school board direct links with them saying, look, this is where the school board has said that they want to solicit the gender identity and the sexual orientation of your child in kindergarten. What exactly does that have to do with delivering education? Is it appropriate and is it necessary? And if questioning that appropriateness and necessity um, makes me hateful, then how is that even so? Like, like what, what, how do you come to that? Like, what kind of mental gymnastics are needed to come to that conclusion where parents who are like, wait a minute, my kindergartner doesn't know anything about gender identity or sexual orientation, nor should they. And just simply by stating that they shouldn't, and they should certainly not be being taught this at, at school, unbeknownst to me, and through, through the lens of a teacher whose um, who's, who's interpretation of this curriculum, I have no idea what that actually will tangibly look like when it's being taught to my child. Um, it, just for questioning that or wondering if that's ne necessary, that doesn't make somebody hateful. Uh, and so when you point that out to people and you point out these little loopholes, they just dig their head in the sand. They don't want to hear it. It doesn't align with the narrative that they've been radicalized by. And unfortunately, that curbs any form of conversation, even if you have a direct link and you can share it and say, hey, look, this is what they're asking of grade, you know, kids who are like four or five years old. Right. Um, Anyway, and so over the weekend on this uh, similar kind of topic where it's this SOGI 123, the DEI, these uh, these progressive, supposedly progressive theories that you can't even talk about because they're so progressive, um, you you have various provinces who are who are implementing legislation that mandates school boards not institute these policies where they do not disclose uh, a child's change in pronouns or change of name it's called social transition and that's like the first step in a uh, transition to another gender or um or personality uh disorder but some provinces like Saskatchewan, um Nova Scotia New I think was the other one New and Brunswick. sorry yeah New Brunswick it's, and yeah. um and uh, Ontario is kind of toying with it as well. But yeah. um, you recently had uh, British Columbia's uh, conservative leader under fire for likening the teaching of sexuality gender um, to what happened with residential schools. And this is this is from the CBC. So it's unsurprising that they conflated what he was saying because it wasn't, he wasn't likening the teaching of sexuality and gender to students. He was likening that policy where many school boards have went ahead and instituted these policies that explicitly state that you are not to disclose a change in gender identity or pronoun use to a student's parents. And so some of these other provinces have said, wait a minute, for anybody who's under the age of 16, like these are minors that we're talking about. We have to disclose this to the parents and keeping them in the dark is actually dangerous. And as you've already discussed, Sheila, um, it can lead to further harms through things like suicidal ideation, other mental comorbidities that usually go in hand in hand with gender uh, dysphoria. But anyway, the tweet from John Rustad was today is National Day for Truth and Reconciliation or Orange Shirt Day. Or if you're Justin Trudeau, uh, national, um, uh, why can't I think of the word not skiing? Um, surfing. Thank you. <laughs> surfing national day. Surfing Day. <laughs> he says, today we remember what happens when the Canadian government thinks it's better at raising children than parents. I will always stand with parents. And so this is exactly the same thing. 
when yeah. parents oppose the being kept in the dark by state sanctioned curriculum and state sanctioned gender uh, dysphoria diktats this like the the parallels that he draws here are very clear and concise this has nothing to do with as the cbc has spun it the teaching of sexuality and gender this is about keeping parents in the dark and thinking that the state knows better about what's best for your kids than their parents themselves right the outrage here speaks to how true he was in saying that and i'm well, i have indigenous friends who say the same thing like this is what happens when the state uh, determines what your values should be. Um, and that's that's what's happening here. And everybody's mad because he's right. He's right. The state should, as uh, Justin Trudeau's dad said, get out of the bedrooms of the nation, but it also has to get out of the kitchen tables of the nation because these are conversations for parents with kids when parents decide mm -hmm. the kids are ready, if ever, if at all. Um, it should not involve government-run schools infecting your child with the mind virus of whatever this nonsense is. And the idea, once again, that parents who have a different worldview couldn't possibly love their children enough to get through whatever this issue is, is bigotry. And MLA Rustad was right. And that's why everybody's mad at him. He was a little too right. And in Justin Trudeau's world, that tweet would be nuked um, under new censorship mm -hmm. legislation. That's right. And tweets like the following, which come from the Ontario Principals Council, would be highlighted <laughs> and shared <laughs> broadly. Um, so I guess October, as we enter the this month, today is October 2nd, but um, we're once again, apparently, Currently celebrating two, there, there it is. There's the acronym, 2SLGBTQQIA plus month. See, I missed that extra Q. I didn't know there was another one. Um, questioning. Oh my God. We're in questioning. Oh, okay. That's right. Oh my, then, yeah. Anyway, um, so there's another month here that we're now dead. We're recognizing the history of the diverse lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer communities. We encourage our schools and students to become allies and stand up against discrimination, bullying, and harassment. I mean, didn't we already do Pride? So first we had Pride Weekend, right? It started in Toronto and maybe other city centers, I think about 15, maybe longer years ago. Uh, so there was Pride Weekend, and it was like that one-day parade, and maybe it ricocheted a little bit into the next day. And then there was Pride Week, then there was Pride Month. Now there's Pride Season, and I guess we're still yep. in Pride Season, or is it just Pride Year and like endlessly now? I have no idea, but what a hell of a marketing gimmick if you're selling those Pride flags. Um, that you can just sell them all year long now. This is wonderful if you are selling that kind of stuff. But I like how they keep expanding the acronym there so that pretty soon we're all going to be members of the LGBTQ community once they add letters for everybody else. Like, are you a heterosexual tomboy like me? Um, I guess. Uh, uh, they're going to get me in there one of these days. Like it just never ends till now we've got people who are questioning. Um, it, they're in there too. Now I, I just, it, it's never ending. We're all going to be gobbled up by the, uh, 
LGBTQ acronym one day and there will be no escape. Mm -hmm. It'll just be all encompassing. And It'll get us all. You can't just be Canadian because that was supposed yeah. to be like all encompassing and diverse. <laughs> and, uh, but that I guess is now like textbook bigotry. We have to now switch out and have like every color of the rainbow and every symbol. Like, I don't even know what that purple circle is for. Um, at one time I thought that there was like the lesbian gay bi and bi was supposed to originally like encompass kind of every like queerness. Um, then there was trans and that was supposed to be everyone. Anyway, um, it just keeps getting longer and longer. And as billboard Chris points out here too, he um, reposted this. He just said it never ends. And like, that's, that's kind of where I am at this point. And I'm like, when, when does it end? And um when do we get uh, real recognition for things like our veterans who, who literally yeah. fought for your freedom to be whatever you wanted to be here and speak freely and express yourself freely, right? Because that's what these people are are capitalizing on. They're capitalizing on free expression, free speech, and the ability to be whatever they want to be without state interference. And they do it and it's fine. And nobody really cares that you let them have their pride weekend, whatever you steer clear. If you are, have young children and you don't want them exposed to sexual perversion and, and, and nudity, and otherwise, you just whatever. And this is now the culmination of when radicalized people have infiltrated this um, lesbian gay movement. And now they just want to take it everything over and start to uh, funnel their theories into the impressionable minds of your children at school without your knowledge or consent. And that's where parents have said, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. We've had enough. This is where we finally draw the line. Um and, and so our veterans who fought for their ability to freely express themselves, uh, they don't get a day like they don't even get a whole day. They get what a moment of silence on November 11th for one minute at 11 yeah. o'clock. Um, there's no month, there's no weekend, there's not even a holiday. So that I find to be a huge injustice and extremely hypocritical because they literally fought for uh, people's ability to have this kind of expression, whether you agree with it or not. Well, and they took spooky season for me. It's October. Let me have October, please. Um, you know, we're over time, but while I have you, Tamara, because this is one that I wanted to talk about with Tamara, because you are our, um, I would say you're our medical issues reporter, and I think we should put that on your business cards, um, but you're also the, the COVID statistics nerd. And I say that in the most loving and positive way possible. Um, scientists... Catalin Carico, Carico and Drew Weissman have won the 2023 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine for discoveries that enabled the development of, If I love how they just threw this in just without any, any <laughs> uh, truth whatsoever, effective vaccines against COVID-19, the award-winning body, award-giving body said on Monday. So uh, these guys have won the Nobel prize in medicine for creating vaccines that, uh, well, well, I'll just say it. And again, if I get us kicked off on YouTube, I'm very sorry, but they did not stop the spread of COVID-19 and yet they get it for creating effective vaccines. Okay. Yeah. This whole, like the marketing slogan. So, so the safe and effective we have to remember is all a big pharma marketing slogan. It's um, a way right. to sell product. It's a, it's, it's marketing 101. It's safe and effective, safe 
safe and effective. And we heard that repeated over and over and over again. And I, I know that we're still on YouTube. So I'm going to try to be mindful of how I'm wording things. Um, but I wanted to bring up a report that I did in May of 2021 with um, emergency room physician, Dr. Mark Benoit. Maybe, hold on, I'll just put the link in here so we can pull it up. Because I really urge people, I mean, these are reports and I go back sometimes into the Rebel Archive of some of my reports that I did very early on in 2021 um, when I was just actually coming back from maternity leave. At that time, I had, what, an eight, an eight-week-old um, and I was doing interviews yep. with these physicians because I'm seeing the rollout and what's happening and all already people were starting to to come forward and say hold on a minute this this is you know i've had a reaction or i'm doing or this has happened to me post injection and so um i couldn't just sit idly by on maternity leave and not report on that so uh mark benoit was one of the very first people other than dr mark trosi who came forward and wanted to sound the alarm on what big pharma was calling efficacious with their novel injections and the mRNA platform was developed, and you can follow uh, Dr. Malone, who really worked uh, side by side to develop this platform, and it was developed as a cancer treatment. And so the entire basis of the mRNA platform is that it is meant to um, biodistribute throughout your entire body. And so this this false notion that the mRNA injection stayed in your deltoid in your shoulder was never based on science or fact. And so um, I just as a precursor there, that's what the mRNA was originally developed and used for was novel cancer therapies. It's a therapeutic. But there was a quote in here. And you know, the whole interview itself is really great. And uh, Dr. Benoit says a really, really great things. But um, about, I don't know, halfway down the web copy component or three quarters of the way down, I note in here that Dr. Benoit explains the difference between safety and efficacy in light of Pfizer claiming that their product, remember they said it's 100% effective in its trial participants. He details yep. that what this study actually documented was merely antibody production in the participant's blood work seven days following vaccination and not necessarily prevention of infection or death. So they had a had an antibody response and that's seven days following vaccination. I think they followed them for up to 14 days. And then it was like, all right, now you're on your own. And I guess we hope that you're immune for a while still. But we've seen that the data, the real world data coming out now shows that in fact that immunity wanes um, very clearly over time and it actually counter affects your natural immunity if you had any. Uh, so if you were naturally immune and you received these novel injections, the, the waning immunity from the injection actually hinders your natural robust immunity. And so um, we can see more and more how these sorts of reports are aging really nicely. And this clinging to the marketing slogan of safe and effective is um, is not based on actual science or evidence. And I hope that doesn't get us kicked off of YouTube. Well, I remember uh, pulling what it meant uh, when they said that uh, these things were deemed safe by uh, Health Canada. And uh, they never tested them for efficacy. Health Canada didn't do any of that. But they did test them to see, like, when they meant by safe was not that they didn't cause adverse events. I'm doing my best to dance around the YouTube restrictions, but what they meant was they didn't contain anything that would cause immediately harm, immediate harm or death to the best of their knowledge. So were they radioactive? Did they have like a, a virus that would instantly kill you or anything like that? Like that's what they meant by these things are safe. Feel free to get them. 
Um, it didn't exclude uh, adverse reactions or even an anaphylaxis or anything like that. It was like, do these things contain like motor oil? Nope. Okay. Like <laughs> that's what they meant. And so technically speaking, they were right to say that these were Health Canada approved or at least Health Canada authorized as safe. But they never quite explained to the public what they meant when uh, they made that claim, as you rightly point out. Well, and the safety profile is still largely unknown because the cl phase three clinical trial is not set to be complete until December 2023. So I think later this year, <laughs> is it? Yeah, I believe it's 2023. Um, and I think it was Keith Wilson who posted that he, when he cross-examined uh, one of the senior officials of Health Canada, Celia Lorenko. She, you know, clarified and confirmed that the phase three clinical trials weren't complete when Health Canada authorized it in December of 2020, right? Not even a year into this apparently um, unprecedented pandemic. And yet eight months later, we already had some novel injections and the phase three clinical trials aren't said to be complete until December of 2023. And in those clinical trials, the placebo arm, so the gold standard of safety testing is through randomized placebo controlled safety study. And uh, what the manufacturers did, or the sponsors in this case, Pfizer and Moderna, is they unblinded their placebo arm. I think it was uh, eight weeks, so approximately two months after the the study um, was was underway, because it was apparently an ethical concern that the people who were um, in the placebo arm weren't actually going to be protected, right? Because the the marketing slogan at the time was safe and effective, safe and effective. So they all wanted to be in the trial arm, not the placebo arm. So they went ahead and unblinded everybody, gave the placebo arm the novel injections. So I don't even know what kind of actual clinical trial they have left at this point. Um, but regardless, the it's not to be completed until December of 2023. And for the ones, you know, the phase one and two that are, um, and phase two, I might be wrong on, but phase one's complete, but the data, the results aren't even posted yet. You can go on the clinical trials uh, website of NIH, the National Institutes of Health, and the data is not even up. So um, what those clinical trials even end up finding, I don't know how they even get away with saying safe and effective at this point, because there's nothing to point to that being accurate. No, no, no. Um, and, and yet they still keep repeating it. And the journalists are like, yep, see, told you, listen to this government official who's telling you that it's safe and effective. Um, Let's okay, give we're these guys Nobel Peace Prize, Nobel Prizes. I mean, yes. that is just outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nobel Peace Prizes or Nobel Prize in Medicine for um, Medicine Prize. Yeah, yeah. For um, look at them. They're wearing their masks to accept their awards. That is just um, science. Chef's kiss. Like, <laughs> like it's just, it's just. Do perfect. Um, and yet we don't even know the uh, full scale of the uh, society wide damage that may or may not have been done by the rushed administration of these vaccines. And of course, you know, how can we not acknowledge the damage that uh, these uh, the rushed administration of these vaccines did to civil liberties across the world and human rights across the world and human mm -hmm. dignity across the world. Um, but yes, enjoy your meaningless 
prize because when they administer when they give a prize to people for this sort of stuff it is purely political and absolutely meaningless in uh, terms of science there you have it. it there you have it I, we're done the show we, we don't have any chats um olivia we have we read the one earlier we didn't touch on everything that we wanted to do but i'm sure we can get to um um the other things tomorrow um if we want um, Tamara, thanks for being my co-host on the show. Um, I appreciate that you, uh, talk as much as I do. Cause I feel like I monopolize the show when I'm with poor Alexa and she's like, yep, yep, yep. And I just <laughs> give her the whole time. I'm glad, I'm glad you take the reins sometimes. Um, I want to thank, uh, everybody who tuned in, um, watching us across all the platforms that Justin Trudeau wants to censor, um, to everybody who works behind the scenes in HQ in Toronto, but also across the country to make sure the show is there for you, wherever you want to watch it, whenever you want to watch it. Thanks to everybody who pitched in a little bit to keep the lights on. And as David Menzies always says, although I don't think he takes his own advice sometimes, stay sane. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twccanada.health/rebel today. Come on out November 25th. It's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists. Like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus New World Sun, just off a European tour. And the legendary R&B master... Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara on the Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. <laughs>